Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I'm thrilled that you've joined me. And today we're going to talk about traumatic brain injury. I practice for 25 years clinically. I don't practice anymore. I now teach the brain-mind connection concepts around the world globally and write books and do programs. But today in this podcast, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I did with my patients in therapy who had suffered from traumatic brain injuries because we get so many emails and so many questions about this. And there is stuff that you can do. And I had some tremendous results with my patients. And I want to share that with you, that if you or a loved one has gone through anything like this, there is hope there is something that you can do now right up front I just want to say I'm not a medical doctor I'm not a neurosurgeon I am a mind specialist I'm trained as a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist and what I would do in my practice is work with patients once they had once they had gone through the medical care and they were basically in a recovery process I would and then that then they would come to me in my practice and I would help them to help them to restore their cognitive, their thinking, their intellectual, their social, their emotional, their communicative, academic um, work, whatever skills they require to fit back into life and for their life to be able to carry on as normally as possible and even to improve in some cases. Now, I have to also tell you that um, many times I would begin working with these patients very early on in the hospitals and things and when very early in their, in their, in their recovery period. Sometimes I would work with them a year or two after they had had their accident and they were starting to the, the, you go through a natural spontaneous recovery period after a any kind of head injury for about 12 months there's a natural spontaneous recovery period that occurs and um, I, I work with patients I work with patients during that spontaneous recovery period plus after that spontaneous recovery period and the reason I'm sharing this with you is that both in both cases both situations I saw dramatic improvement with the kind of approaches that I had chosen to use in my practice I also found that when I began working working in this field in, in the 80s, it, there was very little information and hope held out there for this kind of patient. This idea that the brain couldn't change was kind of a strong uh, worldview in terms of science and mind-brain health, etc., right up to the mid-90s when, they, when, the, when brain technology like the fMRI machines and things, that kind of brain technology was discovered and researched and people started seeing inside the brain and seeing, oh, actually the brain can change in response to the mind. So back in the 80s when I was working in this field and I proposed that if you deliberately and intentionally use your mind to think in a different way and, and really try and build a patient's brain through thinking and deliberate thinking through their academics or whatever the patient was interested in, that you would be able to change brain function. And I was told in that, at that time that this was actually a ridiculous notion. Many of my professors told me at the time that your brain can't change. Why are you trying to do this kind of thing? Just teach your patients to compensate and just you know live, adjust to the changes that had come into their life. And I never believed that because you know instinctively we know that we can improve. And there's, there's, there was such a little there was a dearth of research. It was not much research at all proving this. I was kind of alone out there, and there were a few of us around the world that were working in this in this particular 
particular arena of trying to change, with using the mind to change the brain. Anyway, I proceeded to develop techniques and work with patients that had severe traumatic brain injuries, and the results were phenomenal. I mean, we were all surprised, myself, my professors, that at the response when you teach a person to deliberately and intentionally use their mind, it really does cause the brain to change. This is some of the first neuroplasticity research that was actually done back in the 80s, the, the work that I did, and um, neuro, neuroplasticity means brain can the brain can change. Neuro means brain and plastic means to change so what this what the research that I was doing was was showing was that with our mind we can change our brain and as I said from the mid 90s it was accepted this concept of neuroplasticity and the changeable nature of the brain or the malleable nature of the brain is very accepted now but back in the 80s it wasn't so it was quite radical the techniques that I was using but the techniques were effective and I used them for many years and currently they're very this kind of approach is very popular now to help patients in recovery and essentially what it entails is that you've got to learn you've just got to think use your mind and really think deeply and as you think deeply about things you create structural change inside of your brain and when you do that you change the neurotransmitters in the brain you change the electrical chemical balance you change the neurochemistry of the brain you literally create very fertile environments for brain growth inside the brain when you deliberately think so just some practical you know what does this look like practically because you may be thinking well I know someone or I've got a loved one or whatever that that really could benefit from this well one of the techniques that I developed was I would use my patients academic whatever let's 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 take the, some uh, a simple example whatever the patients need was that they felt that they wanted to achieve or change in their life that was what I would use as my starting point so it was very important for me to take a very very intensive case history in order for me to identify the context of the patient's life and their needs so I considered the whole person in their context very important I would also involve the whole family because we are all entangled in each other's lives so when someone goes through this kind of trauma and they change their personality and they change their skills change and their abilities change the whole family needs help this becomes a very a family oriented approach a caregiver approach so I would never work with just the individual alone. I would always work with the whole the individual within the context of their family to get a support system going because this is, you know, it's hard work to change your brain. As we all know, just from our own lives, just trying to deal with things like depression and anxiety, etc. It, it's hard work, but it it can happen. So that was one of the big things was to have the family approach. Secondly, I would, as I say, take a very full case history and look at the context of my patient's life and see what was their need. So not so much, I would always consider the need or the what the perception of the parents or the teachers or the work colleagues or whatever. I would always consider that as part of my treatment design, but I would always look at the patient's need. What do you want to change? What do you want to improve in your life? And I found that the most powerful because if you are changing what you see as some as, as as a desire of yours to change not someone else's desire or someone telling you that you need to change this then you take ownership of that that issue you take ownership of that goal and so I would set goals for my patients and sometimes they were totally unrealistic so we would have to work backwards from those goals to to an achievable goal but it was driven by the patient so all my therapy was very family-centered and patient-centered driven by the need of the patient helping them to identify it as far as possible then what we would do is take like for example if they were at school and they had lost a period of time at school 
because of the trauma and they had you know, they'd missed a few months or, or years or even of school then but if their desire was to go back and be able to finish schooling or complete schooling or do some more schooling, whatever that need was, I would work with that material. So I would bring that material as the material into therapy. So they would, the actual, so let me give you an example of this. I had a, um, I, I recall, I mean, there's so many stories going through my head now, but one of my patients was a 16 year old who'd had suffered from a tremendous car, a terrible, terrible car accident. She was in a coma for over two weeks. The doctors had written her off. The neurologist had told the parents she'd be a vegetable if she ever, if she ever came round. And um, she, this this young girl did come around, did come around, very determined. The parents contacted me around about a year post accident. She was 16 at the time of her accident, and um, she had, by the time she came to me, she had lost that whole of that 16 going on 17 years. So she'd lost a whole year at school in terms of of going to classes and getting that academic training. And um, she had really progressed from you know she it was amazing that she came around and came out of the coma. She had gone from being in a vegetative state to a very functional state, but she was academically functioning at around about a fourth grade level when she came to me. And um, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was really quite nervous when I took this case on because it was very early in my career. And this is why I'm sharing the story with you because it was a very, a huge turning point in in, the, in, the, in my work and um, I told the parents I can't guarantee but these are the techniques they'd heard about what I was t- was teaching and I said I'm not sure how it's going to work so we're going to have to approach this from a very experimental point of view well we took her, her goal was to get back to into high school to get back her peer group at that stage were going into their final year of school now that she's now functioning on a second grade level we had literally eight months to catch her up and get her into 12th grade and that was quite a challenge quite a goal a goal that I thought was way too big at the time but that this young girl was determined to do that so that was her goal we had some sub goals underneath that long story short we worked three hours a week. I worked with her three hours a week. She worked on her own every single day, her family supporting her. They had a whole regiment at home. We took her academic schoolwork. We started her on second grade. We went through all her subjects and she literally relearned her schoolwork. Within eight months, she caught up from a second grade level to a 12th grade level, went through 12th grade, passed with flying colors. And the, the, the results were absolutely astounding. There was an incredibly, um, a, a very clear, distinct change once we had started a very deliberate, organized and um, processed, um, deliberate, organized, processed, disciplined approach. Like every day she would spend at least one hour with breaks, one to three hours every single day with breaks on her schoolwork. So she would take her math or her science or her um, social studies or her uh, whatever the subject was, they ha- she would have the textbook and she would then apply the techniques of f- a, a five-step process that I had developed in rebuilding the brain. And those five steps I have actually in my book called, I have a workbook and a DVD called the five-step learning, the switch on your brain with a five-step learning process. And that, that's... a very simple adaptation of the process that I would teach this young girl, but it was reading, she would sit down for an hour with her family, she would read through a chunk of information, she would think it through, she would make notes, and she would talk about that. So there was a very deliberate, organized process. We applied this not only in her academic environment, but we also applied this in her social, um, we, we, she would practice like, um, if, if she wants to if she wants to like understand a movie or plan a party, or so we tried to practice this in various different environments. But the predominant training was in her schoolwork, that was her main goal. At the end of the time, not only 
needed her academics improve, but she actually became really, really, an, she became an excellent scholar. So, for example, math was always an issue with her before her before her car accident, and after her car accident with with her traumatic brain injury, she suddenly became a math genius, which is phenomenal. She changed her her skill level changed, and she to to this day will attribute it to the fact that she learned how to think and how to apply and how to use her skills, and that's what my whole approach has been. I've worked with so many other patients, thousands over the years, where I have focused on teaching them how to not just read through the schoolwork, not just to take that that work that you're doing at work or your your skill that you've been trained in, and just like not think that you you really take it and really re, almost relearning that information. So it's a deliberate and intentional learning process, and that. Carry o- carried over not into just her academic skills, but also carried over into her social skills, her emotional skills. When we did various scales looking at her emotional improvement and her social improvement, it was radic- there was a radical improvement. Not only did we see it on actual measures, scientific measures, but we also saw it in her general day-to-day functioning. And although we didn't work directly on the emotional side and on the initially we worked initially just around the academic there was carry over into the emotional so the point i'm making and one of the main tips i want to want to stress here is that with your mind you can change your brain i was teaching her uh, how to do that and this is a big thing with traumatic brain injury the big thing is that your brain has been damaged your brain has gone through shock you get these shock waves that have shot through your brain which have called caused all manner of damage in the brain but the brain can regrow the brain can those neurons, those damaged neurons that hold your memories can regrow, but they can only grow if they are stimulated. So the signal that will stimulate the regrowth is your thinking, predominantly your thinking. Obviously how you eat and your exercise regimen is extremely important as well. Eating healthy foods and eat and doing exercise and so on, which is also always part of my patient protocol, my treatment protocol for my patients. But the main focus, the bulk of the focus was on helping them to regrow their brain. And this is really what I want to bring home to you today is that if you've suffered from a traumatic brain injury, very as soon as you possibly can, you, if it's yourself that I'm talking to you, if you've had the particular traumatic brain injury or if you've got a loved one, you need to get that brain stimulated you need to start by it might just be as simple as reading reading to that person while they're still in bed so that they are thinking and hearing um, and thinking through concepts maybe it's their favorite stories watching movies together starting to talk through processes that they in that they used to do their, their work environment processes that they did at work all kind you need to stimulate obviously you need to work within if they get tired and that kind of thing but to do a build up towards a um, having a lot of stimulation during the day, potentially starting with maybe just 10 minutes and then could build up to a couple of hours a day of this mental stimulation is very, very important to help to change the brain and to grow the brain. So we are very um, we, we are very able to redirect our brain and this is called directed neuroplasticity. It's a very um, it's actually a different way of approaching the of approaching traumatic brain injury. It's not medic. I don't I don't recommend medication unless there's obviously medication for a um, if there's some kind of heart issue or blood clots or if there's some kind of medical need. Obviously, then you're on medical medical medic on medication for that. What what I don't recommend is psychotropic medication like antidepressants and those kind of things because those will inhibit brain function. We never used those back in the 80s and 90s. That's quite a new 
thing in the late 2000s that people have been, you know, the early 2000s that started where people started treating people with traumatic brain injuries with those kind of psychotropic medications. And the research does show that they they contraindicated. They don't actually support brain function. They actually go against brain development. So the big the main tip that I'm going to finally just sort of summarize for you in this podcast, because we will do more podcasts on this, and please send us your questions for, you know, if you've got specific questions related to this, that I can get maybe more specific to help you. But the main thing I want to stress is that as you find your area of interest, your academic schoolwork, your your uh, university schoolwork, your, if you are not at work and this you've had a traumatic brain injury, what are you interested in? And stimulate your brain. Read, read, read a lot of reading and then thinking about what you've read and making notes about what you've read. One of the main techniques that I would teach my patients is something called a metacog, metacogging. And metacogging is something that I developed. It's a way of writing that really forces the brain to work extremely hard. You have to think very, very um, deeply when you use it. It's very challenging. It's kind of time consuming. You get faster and faster with it all the time. But it's a way of writing down information that you are thinking about that forces you into deep levels of processing. And the deeper you process and the more organized you become around organizing information, the more you're going to stimulate brain growth. If you want to know more about how to metacog, I have a video on that and I have a um, a workbook and I have more materials coming out on that in the future. But currently I have a workbook and book and that's basically called um, the, the switch on your brain with the five-step learning process. Very important in terms of the family is the family does the therapy with the patient. So when I would have a patient working with me, like the, for example, that young girl that I described her story at the beginning of the podcast, she would not, I would, didn't just work with her. I would work with her mother. I work with her father. I work with her, um, her brother and her sister. And I, so they learned the technique along with her. So they would, when she was doing her, who practicing her therapy sessions, they were doing it too, but they were applying it in their own life. Like her brother was still at school, her sister was at work, etc. So the whole family got involved doing it together. And that support creates tremendous changes inside of the brain and empowers one to actually go, have the strength to, to push through in those difficult times. So I encourage you, don't give up. There is so much that you can do if you've had a brain injury. Thank you for listening today. And I look forward to sharing more information with you in the next podcast.